Revival is not something to be taken lightly. Over the history of our faith, we can point to many instances of genuine revival amongst communities of faith. As diverse as the specific instances may be, there are generally similar circumstances surrounding these occurrences. Hunger for God, desperation, stagnancy in the faith, adverse situations, all that to say, is there any reason why revival couldn't happen now? Join us today as we continue our series called Revival Stronger Than Ever. Life has its ups and downs. Life can be fun. Life is sometimes hectic. And life is full of choices. Welcome to Venture, the podcast that brings the biblical truth to the ventures that we face in this world and live in today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another Venture Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Wills, lead pastor at Venture Church in Bellevue, Nebraska. And as always, so thankful that you have joined us today. We believe you are where you need to be at this moment in time, and we are praying that God will give you a reason and purpose of why he has you where you are. So, this uh, series, we are learning lessons about how to restart our lives after being shut down by a national crisis. Now, uh, whether you believe the whole COVID thing was the complete national crisis, I believe most people think that. But I think even now, we're still in a, a national crisis. Even though I think we've been coming out of COVID for a little while now, uh, and most most states and most places are kind of just moving on as, as COVID is just kind of we're living with it type of scenario, uh, even though I think some places COVID is up on a rise. But we still have some businesses that are still are affected by it. Uh, we're permanently affected by it. Uh, churches were in the same boat. And so I, I believe just beyond COVID, though, also we are still in a national crisis on the sense of um, you know, where we stand on a lot of things, you know, politically, spiritually. Uh, and even just plain old morals, right? Uh, there's a lot of division within our, our country and within this world. So I believe uh, we are in a crisis. And our teacher during this series uh, is an ancient scribe named Ezra. And Ezra described himself as a scribe skilled in the law of Moses. Well, after 70 years of exile in Babylon and being set free to restart their nation, Ezra compiled a selective account of the history of his people. And we call his account the Book of Chronicles. And in it, Ezra teaches us scores of lessons from the lives of kings on what to do and what not to do when you get a chance to do things over. Uh, last week, uh, we learned a lesson from David, uh, one about faith. And, and we learned that God relents when we repent. And the repentance involves remorse for our wrongs and turning towards what's right and giving something costly to God. Today we are going to learn a lesson from Solomon about wisdom. Uh, and so if you have an opportunity, if you want to turn to your Bibles and just kind of be in two different places at one time is what I'm going to ask you to do um, somehow. Uh, we're going to be mainly in Second Chronicles chapter 1, uh, but we're going to start off in 1 Kings chapter 4, okay? And so kind of be in place two different places at one time if you can. The Bible says that apart from Jesus Christ, Solomon was the wisest man in history. Uh, and so I want to start, like I said, in 1 Kings, 
And I want you to listen how it describes Solomon's wisdom. Okay, it's 1 Kings chapter 4, starting with verse 29. And I will be reading from the New Living Translation uh, for today. It says, God gave Solomon very great wisdom and understanding and knowledge as vast as the sands of the seashore. In fact, his wisdom exceeded all, that of all the wise men of the east and the wise men of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan the Ezraite and the sons of Mahal, Heman, Kalkal, and Darda. His fame spread throughout all the surrounding nations. He, he composed some 3,000 proverbs and wrote 1,005 songs. He could speak with authority about all kinds of plants, from the great cedar of Lebanon to the tiny hyssop that grows from cracks in a wall. He could also speak about animals, birds, small creatures, and fish. And kings from every nation sent their ambassadors to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. And so when you study the life of Solomon, you quickly realize he did many things wrong. If you were to look at it, you would see that he did many things wrong. But, but Ezra is writing to encourage us, right? That's what we're looking for. And so he's, he's going to talk about what Solomon did right. And what Solomon did right benefited uh, an entire nation. What he did right started with the very first year of his reign. Solomon was replacing his personal hero, David. And, and David was the greatest king in Israel's history, is what most people believe. And, and so do I. But as he thought about how to begin his kingship, Solomon did something we might not have thought of. Okay? He went to Israel's holiest place, a mountain not far from his home, and he took with him 1,000 sheep, goats, and cattle. He then built a fire on an altar, and he made a 1,000 animal offering to God. And if you're kind of scratching your heads like, well, wonder why he did that. Well, that's what we're going to dive into today. And so I want to read what happened as a result of him doing this. And that's where we're at in Second Chronicles chapter 1, starting with verse 7. Here's how it reads. That night God appeared to Solomon and said, What do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. So Solomon replied to God, You showed great faith and faithful love to David, my father, and now you've made me king in his place. O Lord God, please continue to keep your promise to David, my father. For you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me the wisdom and knowledge to lead them properly, for who could possibly govern this great people of yours? And God said to Solomon, because your greatest desire is to help your people, and you did not ask, ask for wealth, riches, fame, or even the death of your enemies, or a long life, but rather you asked for wisdom and knowledge to properly govern my people, I will certainly give you the wisdom and knowledge you requested. But I will also give you wealth, riches and fame such as no other king has ever has had before you or will ever have in the future. You know what's really awesome about this is that Solomon was 14 years old when he did this. 14 years old. He wasn't the youngest king to ever rule Israel, but but whether you're 7, 8, 14, 40 or 80, okay? Becoming king is a daunting assignment. That's a huge task, right? And if you've ever felt small and helpless, if, if you've ever wondered if you could do the thing that you were being asked to do, if you ever wished your dad or somebody else you trusted was there to help you with the task you've been given, you know what Solomon was feeling that day, right? Solomon found himself responsible for two million people who all needed leadership, care, and protection. This was the biggest assignment of his life. And so he makes the biggest sacrifice he can imagine. 
One after another, a thousand herd animals are slaughtered and hoisted onto the altar. One after another, their ashes rise up towards God. In the Old Testament, there were several types of offerings. One of them was called the fellowship offering. With the fellowship offering, you roasted a part of the animal to the Lord, and you roasted the other part for yourself. When your portion was cooked just the way you liked it, you sat down and ate it in fellowship with the Lord, like a meal eaten between two friends. Another type of offering was a burnt offering. With a burnt offering, you ate nothing. You burned it all up. God got it all. The offering was totally consumed, symbolizing that you were giving everything to God. Solomon's offering was, was, was a, a burnt offering. And Solomon was saying, God, all I have is yours, and all I am is yours. 1,000 times he said that. All I am is yours. All I have is yours. All I am is yours. All I have is yours. All I am is yours. All I have is yours. Thousand times. And that evening, God came to him and asked Solomon, What should I give you? And we know you can't give, outgive God, right? And God says, Solomon, you have given me the best gift. What would you want in return? And in all humility, Solomon answers, Right? I only want one thing, Lord. I want the wisdom to be able to fulfill the calling you have given me. It's the perfect request. He says, grant me wisdom and knowledge so that I may lead these people. And without hesitation, our gracious God responded, Solomon, since you've asked me for something that will benefit others and not for things that will benefit you, I'm going to give you what you asked for. And then I'm also going to give you what you didn't ask for. I'm going to shower you with riches, wealth, glory, unlike any other king before you. Ezra, who is telling us this story, is teaching us a lesson about rebooting our lives. He's saying the best way to have a fulfilled life is to follow God's purpose for your life. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all the things you're hoping for will be added to you as well. On the day of Solomon's sacrifice, he was starting his life over, right? Because once he was a prince, and now he's a king. And princes can play. Right? They, they, can, they can do things, right? If you've ever seen the movie Prince of Egypt, you know, at the beginning of the movie, the two princes are, are racing each other through town on chariots, just trying to see who can win to get there first. And, and, and they are wrecking the town. But they didn't care because princes can play. They can do whatever they want. They're not going to get in trouble, right? And, and, and they don't have to worry about things. But kings, they must lead. Kings have to lead. So Solomon asked for this incredible thing called wisdom, Right? And there's a big difference between wisdom and knowledge, right? Knowledge is knowing facts, figures, and principles. And people can study all the time and have so much knowledge, but they can never have wisdom because wisdom is knowing what to do with those facts, figures, and principles. Knowledge is about information, right? And wisdom is about application. It's about knowing what to do in every situation. If you can find the time I would encourage you to read through the next eight chapters of Chronicles 2. In fact, just read 1 through 10. You know, do all 10. And, and what you'll discover is some incredible things that happen as a result of the wisdom of Solomon. For instance, right, right here in what we are reading uh, today in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, in verse 14, it tells us that Solomon built up a huge force of chariots and horses, and he had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses. He stationed some of them in the chariot cities and some near him in Jerusalem. Now, those numbers might not mean much to you, but 1,400 chariots was a lot of chariots. 
See, when Pharaoh was with his you know, vast army after he, that he came riding after Moses and the, the children of Israel when they're escaping, right? He only had 600 chariots. And Solomon knew that if God blessed his country, he needed a strong military to defend it. Look at what the next verse says, uh, verse 15. The king made silver and gold as plentiful in Jerusalem as stone, and valuable cedar timber was as common as the sycamore fig trees that grew in the foothills of, of Judah. Solomon knew how to generate wealth. He knew how to create wealth, and not just for him, but for everybody. Remember, it was, it was common everywhere. Um, let's read on in chapter 2, uh, verses 1 and 2. It says, Solomon gave orders to build a temple for the name of the Lord and a, and a royal palace for himself. He conscripted 70,000 men as carriers and 80,000 as stonecutters in the hills and 3,600 as foremen over them. Solomon knew, knew the importance of having a place for people to worship God. Solomon knew how to assign labor to build that place. Solomon's wisdom in, endowed Israel with the most incredible temple, or, or as we would call it, a worship center in the entire world. Chapters 3 through 8 describe how Solomon built that temple and how he fortified the cities of Israel and how he settled people in those cities so that all of Israel prospered, right? It wasn't just about him. It was about all his people. They prospered. Let's flip forward to chapter 9, and you'll see the description of this in verses 13 and 14. Each year, Solomon received about 25 tons of gold. This did not include the additional revenue received from merchants and traders. All the kings of Arabia and the governors of the provinces also brought gold and silver to Solomon. The whole point that Ezra is making in this is that wisdom is a great gift. Israel experienced fantastic blessings as a result of Solomon's wisdom, right? Israel became the wealthiest nation in the world, right? Her people enjoyed safety in all their borders. And the whole world experienced blessing as a result of Solomon's prayers. It wasn't just about him, it was about everybody. Solomon was wise enough to know that his wisdom couldn't accomplish everything, though. So, so this really, really wise man spent some serious time in prayer. And chapter 6 contains an incredible prayer by Solomon. And then in chapter 7, it contains God's response to Solomon's prayer. This response may be the most famous response to prayer in all the Bible. Maybe. There's a lot of different responses to prayer, but this has got to be one of the tops, right? Let's read it together. I think you'll recognize it. Second Chronicles 7, 12 through 14, it says, Then one night the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this temple as the place for making sacrifices. At times I might shut up the heavens so that there's no rainfall, that no rain falls, or, or I might command grasshoppers to devour your crops or, or send plagues among you. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and restore their land. Now, some of you maybe have memorized this um, in one version or another. Maybe, you know, I, I, like I said, I read from the New Living Translation. Maybe you've, you read the NIV or King James or, or whatever, okay? But if you've memorized this or, or seen this before, no matter where you read it from, it says, if my people who are called by my name will, one, humble themselves, two, pray, three, seek my face, and four, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. And so as we reboot our lives and we reconnect the, with our world, we would be wise to do these four things, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we? 
I mean, the reality is when you, you humble yourself, why would we want to do that? It's because then you admit that you are not big and you're not God, okay? You're not big and you're not God. And when you pray, you talk to God about your hopes and your dreams and, and your, just your life, right? And when you see God's face, you think about him and, and try to do your day with him so that his face and his thoughts are always with you and guiding you. And of course, if you turn from your wicked ways, that means you turn from your wicked ways, right? Not to offer excuses and say, well, everybody's doing it or, or what I'm doing is, isn't all that bad, right? It's to turn from those things that you know are wrong and you know they're wrong. If you have to second guess yourself and say, well, is this right or wrong? Then it's wrong, right? So do the right thing. We have to turn from what we know is wrong and do the right thing. This is the key to healing our land. It's the key to recovering well. And it's the key to a revival. If we want a revival in our country, in our nation, in this world, we have to start here. It's the key. And so let's review real quick. We are to what? One, humble ourselves. Two, pray. Three, seek God's face. And four, turn from our wicked ways. Now, you know who needs to do that in order for God to heal our land? And you're going to answer, well, everybody that's not a Christian, right? Wrong. We have to start it. We do. We need to, to, to do these four things as a Christian. Why do we need to do that? Because we, we don't want to just call on other people to turn from their work ways. God will not hear our land until he first has an army of healers in his hands. Because if we're not doing that, how could we expect other people to do that? Under Solomon's wisdom, Israel prospers, right? They have peace, hope, a rising economy, and wealth. It was like, like a time never before in reality ever since. Ezra is teaching us a lesson about wisdom. If you want to start your life over and live it at a higher level, you need wisdom. Wisdom is, the one, of, is one of God's greatest gifts, right? Proverbs 8, 11 says, Wisdom is better than jewels and nothing desirable can equal it. Whatever you desire, money, power, thrills, achievements, recognition, wisdom is better than them all. So if you want to recover well, or, or maybe your life didn't get shut down during this, this crisis, even though I think the crisis is still going on, and you just want to live on a higher level, you can have a le- better life from here forward. Um, and here's how you do that. Here are the four steps to take on how to live a higher life. The first step is this. We need to make a burnt offering. Okay, declare a do-over by, by building an altar somewhere. And that doesn't mean I give you permission to go in your backyard and just build this big old massive altar and bonfire thing. That's not what I'm saying. Where I'm talking about is where you need to build an altar is in your heart. And you need to climb onto it and offer yourself a thousand times over to God. Give him your possessions and your position, your rights and your hopes, your goals and your dreams. And you say, Lord, here I am. All I have is yours, all I am is yours. Over and over and over again, a thousand times. The second step to, uh, to live at a higher level is you need to ask God for wisdom. It's that simple. That's really all it is. Just ask. In fact, the book of James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Just ask for wisdom. That's from James 1.5. And now once you've asked for wisdom, you've got to continue to grow in wisdom, which is our third step on how to live a higher life, and that's pursue wisdom. And I think the best way you can do this, 
Um, I, th- I think there's many ways, but I think this is the best way, is by reading the book of Proverbs. Because the introduction of the book of Proverbs describes the book itself this way. Listen, it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for learning wisdom and discipline, for understanding insightful things, for receiving prudent instruction in righteousness, justice, and integrity, for teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced, knowledge and discretion to a young man. Let a wise person listen and increase learning, and let a discerning person obtain guidance. Proverbs 1, 1 through 6. A lot of people don't realize that's in there, and that's exactly what Proverbs is there for, to help us become wise. And there are 31 chapters in Proverbs, which means you could read the whole book in one month by reading one chapter a day. Now, uh, many of you might know a guy named Billy Graham, one of the greatest evangelists that has ever lived, and I believe is definitely in the top five of one of the most wisest Christian mans that, man that has ever lived on this planet. Now, you might have a different value of opinion of that, or maybe you don't even know who I'm talking about. But if you don't know who I'm talking about, I encourage you to, to, to look him up. Google him, Billy Graham. And you know what he did for over 70 years of his life? He read the book of Proverbs every day. 70 years he read the, from the book of Proverbs. Every day, read the proverb of the day, right? You can do 1 through 31. Every month you'll grow in wisdom. Now let's review real quick. Number one, we make a burden offering. Number two, ask for wisdom. And number three, we pursue wisdom. And then we have, of course, number four on how to have a, uh, or to live a higher life. We need to walk in wisdom. We need to walk in wisdom. Well, how do you do that? Well, Proverbs 13, 20 says, the one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Here again, we're learning from Proverbs, right? Now, have you ever noticed that the more you hang around a group of people, that you tend to become more like them. You ever notice that? You know why that is? It's because wisdom and foolishness are both contagious. They're both contagious. So as believers, we want to make sure that we are surrounding ourselves with people who motivate and push us to do, to do better, more like the people that God created us to be. In, in other words, if you want to be wiser, hang out with people who are already walking on the path towards wisdom. And you'll begin to pick up that excitement, that, that joy, and you'll see their example as they imitate, imitate Christ, right? God gives us this wonderful gift of wisdom, and, and Lord knows we need more of it. And we should want more of it, right? So as we continue to emerge from this, this crisis time, let's ask God to give us this gift that is better than jewels. It's known as wisdom. Now today, here's what I want to do. I want to invite anyone who wants to make a burnt offering to do it today. And if that's you, all you have to do is pray these words. Lord, all that I am is yours and all that I have is yours. Please use my life to fulfill your purposes. Pray it and mean it, right? Now I also want to invite anyone who wants wisdom to ask for that today. And if that's you, would you pray these words? Say, Lord, I ask for your wisdom today. Give me the wisdom to know what to do in the situation I'm in. And give me wisdom to carry out the calling you put on my life. And finally, the Bible says that Jesus is the author of all wisdom. If you've never surrendered your life to him, I invite you to do that right now. You can become a follower of his by praying the simple prayer. You say, Lord Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I, and, and I invite you to be mine. I, I want you to come into my life and live your life through me. 
I'm committing to be your follower for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've prayed one of those prayers, here's what I'm encouraging you to do. Go let somebody know. Go let somebody know. Talk with your pastor, uh, a family member, uh, a friend. Uh, if you want, you can comment through through this podcast, and I'll and I'll, I'll I'll be that friend. I'll be that person. And why the reason I want you to do that is because I want you to celebrate with somebody of the decision that you made today. That's what God calls us to do, to celebrate with each other. So here's what I'm asking: just just let us know, and, and we will celebrate with you as well. Let me pray for you all today. Father God, thank you so much for just being with us today. Father, thank you for the words you give us through um, Solomon about wisdom, what you teach us through through Scripture. Father, I just pray that you'll just be with people as they make decisions today. And uh, Father, just continue to bless, guide, and lead us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This concludes another episode of Venture Podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And my hope is always that you'll join us next week as we continue in our series called Revival, Stronger Than Ever. If you'd like to know more about Venture Podcast and Venture Ministries, or you'd like to help support us financially, please visit us at VentureChurch.ch.